about what's next, wondering what your career is. Or you could be 40 to 45, thinking about master's programs, looking at your career, wondering what's next. Or you might even be 60 to 65, thinking about retirement, uh, looking at your career, wondering what's next. And then there's another whole group of people that it's not age-based, but it's just station of life, stage of life based. You know, you might be a stay-at-home mom. So your kids are going to school for the first time. Maybe they're moved out. And you're like, what am I supposed to do now? What's life supposed to be about? Uh, maybe you're in a dead-end job and you're like, dear Jesus, please get me out of this. I want something new. Or you could be the opposite end of the spectrum. You're doing really well in your job and you got a promotion offer, but it's in a different city or it requires a longer commute and you're thinking about what's next. We're all trying to figure out what's next in our lives and it's really hard to do, right? It's really difficult and honestly, we don't always do it the best. Um, you know, in America, we have good old-fashioned American self-esteemism. Uh, I didn't create that, but you can, you can say you stole it from me if you want. I like that term. Self-esteemism, you know. When you're the 5'3", 125-pound, 25-year-old who wants to become an NFL linebacker, and so you tell yourself, gosh darn it, I can make it happen. No, you can't. There is no way you can make it happen. Uh, but in America, we don't tell ourselves that you can't make it happen, right? That, those are bad words in this country. We can do anything that we put our mind to, right? And then there's the opposite side of that spectrum, which is kind of like GPS-induced autopilot, where we're just like driving down the road, following the signs, even when they are obviously to everybody else around us, taking us in the wrong direction. For a hopefully humorous, a classic example of this, turn to the screens. Proceed straight. Well, we're 0 for 6. Last chance is the Elmhurst Country Club, other side of the lake on the southeast side. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I thought this would work. Through everything I had at that guy, nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know? You lose everything, and everything falls apart, and eventually you die and no one remembers you. That is a very good point, Dwight. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 no, 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 no. It means bear right. No, up there. it said right, so take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe it's turn. a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's well, a lake there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the lake. machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's up there. There's no lake. Here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. OK. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Look out for Leighton. sure you're okay? Fine. Good. That is what's most important. Did you get the rental insurance? Because that is pretty important too at a time like this. <laughs> 
course he didn't get the car rental insurance, right? That's a scam. We all know that. No? Okay. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, sometimes we do this. We just keep following the roadmap, and it's taking us in a terrible direction, not supposed to just follow it into the lake. So how do we figure out what to do with our lives? Well, it should be no surprise you're at church. I think Jesus has something to say to us about this, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. And in fact, I think Jesus has a very specific plan for each and every one of our lives that fits who we are and how we've been formed and what we're good at and all of those fun things that he wants us to live out. But in order to do that, it requires a process. So this morning, as we continue our series through the book of Exodus, I want to look at a fun, not-so-fun period in Moses' life, 40 years walking through nowhere, the process of figuring out what it was that God was calling him to, that led him to a burning bush. So that's what I want to talk about this morning, the process of living the life that God has for you. You know, when I was in my 20s, I went to a, a vineyard church, and they would sing this song like probably once a month for most of my 20s, and it was called Invitation Fountain, and here's a few of the lyrics. All who are weak, all who are weary, come to the rock, come to the fountain. All who have climbed on the mountains of heartache, reach to the stars, come on and give your life. If you lead me, Lord, I will follow. Where you lead me, Lord, I will go. Come and heal me, Lord, I will follow. Where you lead me, Lord, I will go. When I would sing that song in my early 20s, every time I'd throw up my hands, I'd be like, yes, God, wherever you want to take me, I'll go. I'll follow you. Just lead me. Just show me where you're leading me to. And that's an amazing attitude, right? If I could say that about myself. But it's a good position to have your heart in. You're, I was ready to go wherever God wanted to lead me. And I was very just preparing myself for it. But what I didn't realize in my early 20s, even though it's kind of in the lyrics a little bit, is that in order to get to where God wanted to take me, there was going to be a process, and the process is not always super fun. It is not always something that you want to sing songs about. You know, there's a process for all of us. The good news, it's for those of us who are weak, who are anxious, who are tired, who are broken. There's a process that requires going beyond what we can do on our own because in the midst of this process, we begin to realize that we need Jesus in order to be able to actually do the things that he's asked us to do. And that's a really good spot to be in, to need Jesus in that place. It's a process of healing and sending. And that's where I want to talk about this morning. That's where I want to head to. So if you'll pray with me, we'll pray, and then we'll open up to Exodus chapter 2. Jesus, I just thank you this morning for what you have for us here. I thank you that you're, you want to meet us, that you want to speak to us, that you want to show us what it is that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the places and the processes that we are in in our lives currently, for those who are tired, for those who uh, feel just kind of anxious and overwhelmed, maybe for those who are doing amazing and feel great about it. But wherever we're at, I thank you that in the midst of it that you meet us there, and I pray that that'll be true today. Meet us where we're at right here, right now, 
and speak to us, Lord. That's what we want. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, open up your Bibles if you have it here with you. Exodus 2, 23 through 25 is where we're going to start off with. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, so 50 to 75 pages in. Uh, If you're curious where to find it, check out there. We're going to be in Exodus all morning, so buckle up. Let's read Exodus 2, 23 through 25. Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew that it was time to act. I want to start out there, even though that's not what we're talking about really this morning, but I think it's super important as we jump into this to recognize something here. It says they cried out that God heard them. He looked down and he began to act. I don't want to pass this by without acknowledging the reality of this entire story that we're going through, that it is a story about justice. It's a story about God breaking in to a horrible situation. These people were slaves. This isn't like child's games. This is real. They were being worked to death. It was a bad situation. But God heard them, and he responded. And that's the really good news when we read this, right? You know, it's Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Many of you knew that. Some of you might have just thought that it was a day that you had to figure out what to do with your kids for on Monday, uh, or that you got a day off from work and you were happy about that. But Martin Luther King Jr. Weekend's all about justice, right? It's about fighting injustice. And I just want us to be aware that Jesus is all about fighting injustice even more than MLK or fill-in-the-blank person, Gandhi, whoever it is. This is what Jesus' main thing is. God hears, and then he comes, and he acts in the middle of the situation. Isaiah 58, 9 says, Then when you call, the Lord will answer, Yes, I am here. Remove the heavy yoke of, imp- of oppression. The cries that we have to God in the midst of places of injustice for ourselves, for other people, they don't just disappear into nowhere. They're not just nothingness. There's something that happens when we cry out to God. He begins to act. He's not deaf. He hears and he starts to move in the middle of our situations. And that should be really, really good news to all of us because there are millions, no exaggeration, millions of people throughout the world who need this reality who need to know that God is there with them in the midst of their injustice. And there might even be a couple of us here today who need to know that truth too. That's good news for us in every phase of life. God hears and he begins to act. Let's keep going. Exodus 3.1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law and he came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush, Moses stared in amazement. That has to be like one of the most understated comments in the entire Bible. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of a bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Don't come any closer, the Lord warned. 
Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then the Lord told him, I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. Now, Moses' response here is kind of humorous, I think, a little bit, because he doesn't say yes. He starts to argue, as we're going to see, like really, really hard arguing. I like to think if you and I saw a bush just right here, all of a sudden in flames, but not burning into ash, just a flame standing on it, and we heard a voice coming from said bush, that we would be a little bit more willing to maybe believe and to go along with what the bush was telling us to do. Although that sounds crazy when I say it, but uh, you know, I'd like to think we would have a little bit more faith. But Moses flat out refuses time and time and time again. Listen to this. Verse 11, but Moses protested, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? Verse 13, but Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel, they will ask me, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then Exodus 4, 1, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to me? And then God does even more cool science. Uh, he makes his hand like go from leprosy to not leprosy. He turns a, a piece of wood into a snake and then back again. He does all this crazy stuff. And Moses still says, no. Don't believe me? Look in verse 13. Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. That's when you know he doesn't want the job. Then the Lord became angry with Moses, which I think he's allowed to at this point. All right, what about your brother? I know he speaks well, and look, he's on his way to meet you now. He'll be delighted to see you. <laughs> Talk to him, put words in his mouth, and I will be with both of you as you speak. I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. At this point, Moses does finally get it. And so he goes and he tells his father-in-law that he's heading out, packs up, he goes and meets Aaron, and then verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt and called all the elders of Israel together. Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses, and Moses performed their miraculous signs as they watched. Then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Like we briefly talked about, Moses is the answer to their cries for injustice. He was the one that God was sending to bring freedom, to bring justice in their bad situation. But obviously he didn't take it very easily, right? He kind of had to be forced into it a little bit. Like Peter ends, the theologian said, Moses' reluctance seems to be a cross between humility and simple stubbornness. 
Now, before we all start saying, man, Moses was terrible, you know, what an idiot. Like, he just couldn't figure it out. Everybody who gets called by God in the Bible does this. Like, all of them. It's unanimous uh, across the board. People have all kinds of reactions to his call. Some are, are instantly afraid. Others are filled with disbelief. Some deal with inadequacy. Uh, some question whether God even showed up at the right house or if he should have gone to the person next door because they have more, they have better character and courage than they actually do. Uh, some live in a place of just flat-out denial and refuse to believe it. Moses and Gideon asked for signs and then asked for more signs and, and then actually asked for another sign on top of it. And Jonah takes the cake. Dude hears from God tells him to go somewhere, and you know what he does? He gets on a boat and literally goes in the opposite direction. <laughs> he doesn't just refuse. He says, you got to make me go all the way back in order to make it possible. He gets on a boat and goes the wrong way. Then he has to spend time in a fish, but that's a different story for today than where we're going today. But people have all kinds of crazy responses to God's call in their life, and usually their initial response is not all that uh, faith-filled or spiritual. It's usually they start shaking in their pants a little bit. Uh, just, but does God disqualify them? No, not one bit. He still keeps calling. He gives them more chances. And that's the good news in it for you and for I. Because we do stupid stuff too when God asks us to do it, right? We don't always go along with what he's saying. We don't always instantaneously just be like, yes, take me to that place that's going to be really hard and uncomfortable where I'm not going to like it. Uh, you know, We don't always say, this is going to be amazing. We, we act out in all different sorts of ways. We struggle to believe. We, we have sin issues that make it really hard. We just don't want to, and we throw a little bit of a fit internally. Whatever it is, we all have bad responses at times, but none of those disqualify us at all. God keeps putting it out there in front of us so that we can live out what it is that he has for us. That's good news for us because being called by God is a process, right? Uh, it takes time to figure out what God's called you to, how he's called you to be. It's a little and sometimes maybe a lot painful. Uh, it requires time and intentionality, but even in the pain, it's filled with grace, but it is a process. You know, Moses didn't just hear a voice in a bush that was burning, but wasn't burning up that all of a sudden changed everything. That burning bush helped him to realize that he had been on a 40-year process to that place. 40 years of doing nothing but herding sheep in the middle of nowhere so that he could be in the place where God could actually work in his heart. Hopefully it doesn't take us 40 years, but even if it does, you're not disqualified. He's still going to keep reaching out to you in that place. So using Moses' life as an example, how can we live out the process of figuring out the call that God has on our lives? How can we fully step into the mission and the plan that God has for us? Well, here's the first step that I see. We have to deal with the reality of who we are and how we've been formed. Sounds fun, right? 
I'm sure that Moses, as he was standing in front of that bush that was burning up, uh, talking to God, he was super aware of who he was. I mean, he tried to say no like five times, like flat out. He didn't try, actually. He did say no five times, uh, but who's counting, right? But here's who Moses is. Here's who Moses is. Moses was an Israelite, but he was raised in the house of Pharaoh. The only time in Moses' entire life up until this point, dude was 80 according to what Exodus tells us. The only time he had actually engaged with Israelites, he ended up killing a dude, burying him, getting caught, and then having to run away and spend 40 years in the middle of nowhere herding sheep. The only time he actually engaged with these people, that's what happened. On top of that, he had like no leadership qualifications. I mean, this is not leader of an entire group of people material, right? If he was running for president right now, we would not vote for him. His campaign slogan would have to be like, too much baggage. And we would say, no, thank you. Move on. Not going there. Not impressive in the least. Nothing to follow after in Moses. That's the reality for him, though. This is the person that God was calling in that moment. And you and I, we got stuff too, right? Now, I'm going to guess that most of us have not killed somebody. So there you go. You can run for president. But, uh, you know, we all have stuff, right? We have baggage. We have had things that have been done to us. We've done things to other people, things that we're ashamed of things that we feel guilty about, things that were not good. We've been told that throughout our lives at various times that how we were responding, the way that we were acting was wrong. You know, statements like, you're being too emotional, that we really let sink in even though we were reacting in a perfectly normal emotional state. Or, uh, you know, you just need to try harder, even though the reality is that we were actually trying the hardest that we could and we're just not very good at drawing pictures. Or that was just me in art class in high school. Uh, <laughs> like, we've all been told things that have sunk in that have really affected how we've been formed, right? And all of this is combined to make us. And you know what we react out of? We react out of who we are and how we've been formed. That's our reality. But here's God's reality. In order for us to accept God's call, we need to acknowledge these things about ourselves, not as good or bad, but just as fact. This isn't about putting a value statement on it. It's about saying, this is how I was formed. It's a factual statement about who you are, how you've been made, and why you respond the way you respond. Now it's been acknowledged. Now you can move on. That's what we have to do in order to live out. That's what Moses had to go through. One of my favorite authors, who I'm going to mention a couple times, so just prepare yourself, Ruth Haley Barton, she wrote, most of our reactions are more connected to the past than to what is actually going on in the present. It's more about the past than the present. Moses wasn't rejecting God because of anything that was going on in his conversation with him right then. It was because of everything else that was behind him. But when we've come to terms with our past, with how we've been formed, then we could start to take the next step towards living out what it is that God has for us. And here's what the next step is. 
We need to deal with this in God's presence. Moses was given a gift. He was able to come to terms with this, to bring, find healing and wholeness in the actual uh, take off your shoes, get on your knees, don't come closer, otherwise you might die, presence of God. That's powerful. In that space, I'm sure a lot happened to him in a short amount of time that we won't get to see uh, the exact same way. But here's the really good news for us. We have access to God's presence right here and right now through Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's hopefully not going to look like a burning bush. And if it does, you might need to go see a counselor. But um, we have access to that presence right here, right now, to deal with who we are, how we've been formed in the same way that Moses did. It looks a little different, but the access to the presence of Jesus is the exact same. And in the presence of Jesus, we're given space for healing. In the presence of Jesus, we could surrender the things that have formed us, that affect us, that have made us react the way that we are reacting. The things that hurt, the things that you've done, the things that have been done to you, the things you wish you would have done, the good, the bad, and the otherwise. Again, Ruth Haley Barton, I told you, get, get used to that name this morning. This is not a yes that says, I will remain the same. This is a yes that says to God, whatever it is that most needs to be done in my life, you will have to do. That's the good news. Jesus meets us in the middle of it. He came to Moses in a bush, but he meets us in the middle of it no less than he did for Moses. Once you say yes in the presence of Jesus, things begin to change. You're invited to give everything up, but it requires intentionality. Here's what I mean by that. So for me, intentionality uh, for this, to, to get healthy in the presence of Jesus, essentially, it means that every year, once, maybe twice would actually be pretty good for me. Uh, I, I could use that. Uh, I go on a retreat, 24 to 48 hours. You can do it too, so don't give me that glazed over look. Uh, it just requires intentionality, like I said, uh, where I have space to be able to deal with who I am with Jesus for a concentrated amount of time. It means that every month I meet with the spiritual director to talk about my relationship with Jesus and my relationships with others. It means that at various times in my life that I have gone to a counselor or a therapist to deal with the nitty-gritty emotional reactions that I'm having to whatever's going on in my life so that I can get whole in the presence of Jesus. That's what intentionality means for me. And I would guess that it means similar things for you too. It has to be intentional, otherwise it's not going to happen. You have to deal with it well. And God wants to help us with that. You know, there's a, a true story about a monk and a priest. It's not a joke, I promise. Uh, it sounds like a joke, but uh, it's not. Uh, but there's a true story about a monk and a priest who had a conversation. And they were at the monastery, and the priest was there just hanging out. And he saw a monk over in the garden. And so he went over, and he sat down next to him, and he started talking to him. And he said, friend, tell me, uh, tell me about your dreams. What's your dream? And the monk got a really strange look on his face, and, and he sat up straight, and he looked at him, and he said, I want to be a monk. And the priest was like, well, you're wearing a robe, and you're in a monastery. 
I think you're doing pretty well um, on, on that, that path. And the monk was like, no, 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 no. And so then he does something really weird, and I'll acknowledge that, but he reaches under his robe and he takes out a gun. Not what you would expect from a monk, right? And he holds the gun and he says, I've been here for 25 years, but every day I carry this with me. My dream is that I would set it down. And the priest is like, well, why don't you just, you know, like take it off? Are they stopping you from being a monk because you have a gun? And he was like, no, it's nothing like that. Most of them don't even know that I carry it. But I know. I know that I have it on me all the time. So why don't you just give it up? And the monk says, well, I guess I've had it for too long. I've been hurt. I've hurt other people. And it just makes me feel safe. feel like I just need to have it with me. And the priest looks at me and he's like, but you seem so uncomfortable with this on you. And the monk's like, yep. So the priest leans in and he says, friends, will you give me the gun today? And the monk starts to have tears coming out down his face and he leans over and he hands him the gun and then they fall into an embrace. I hope you're not, your gun isn't your thing, but you and I each have things that we're holding on to, that we're desperate to let go of. Things that we are scared to death of releasing, of other people finding out about habits, patterns of life that we don't want to release, which is just a nice way of saying an addiction, right? Sin patterns. We have, we have you know, supposed failures, things that, we, that have happened to us, that, uh, things that we've done that just hold, just drag us down, that we can't release. Gerald May wrote that the question is not whether we can do whatever we want, but whether we can do what we most deeply want. Jesus wants us to live out that dream. He wants us to give up the things that we're holding on to, the things that we're scared to death of releasing, of giving up control, the things that we're afraid of what will happen when they're not in our hands anymore. He wants us to give those over to him. Not so he can do anything with them, so he could just chuck them away and embrace us. That's what he wants. So the question for us is, are you willing? Are you willing to give it up? Here's the last step towards living out the mission that God has for you. It's pretty obvious. (laughs) Accept God's mission for your life. It's so simple, right? But as you can see, getting here requires a ton It requires so much intentionality, so much work, so much process that by the time you get to this point, you're like, oh, I'm done. 
But this is where the game really begins. This is the good spot where God begins to take us to live out what it is that he has for us. It's so simple, but it takes so much. Last Ruth Haley Barton quote for the day, before calling has anything to do with doing, it has everything to do with being. It's the call to be who we are and at the same time to become more than we can yet envision. As we end and the worship team comes back up, Jesus wants us, like Moses, to live out the plan that he has for our lives. And he has good plans for us. But in order to do it, we have to live into the process, right? We have to live it out in order to get there. Like I said at the beginning, it's a process for all people, especially for those who feel weak, anxious, tired, and broken. It's a process that requires us getting to the place where we recognize that we can't actually do it on our own, but that we need Jesus to take us the rest of the way. And that's really good news because he wants to. It's a process of healing, and then it's a process of sending. So the question for us this morning, are you willing to say yes to Jesus? to go where he wants you to go, to do what he wants you to do, to live that out in your life. Stand with me and let's pray. And then we're going to worship. Jesus, I just thank you right now for the, the plans that you have for the lives of each person that's here. God, I thank you that you have really good things that fit us that you want us to live out some of it that we're already starting to live out wherever we're at in that though lord pray that this morning that we will meet you in the midst of it speak to us give us clarity on what it is that you're calling us to i pray for freedom this morning to lay down our stuff in your presence to to come open before you and to really give it up, not take it back, but release it, and to just fall into your embrace this morning. Pray that as we worship that we'll be able to hear you, that we'll know what it is that you're saying to each and every one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.